HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Discover South Carolina. Learn more at discoversouthcarolina.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest, from imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers. We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees and we printed a steak just for fun. You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for, for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory qualities that we can love in the world. So basically, you culture the cell in a bioreactor, it grows, and then ultimately, at the end, you come out with a piece of meat. Tune in to Meat and 3, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to HRN Happy Hour. I'm Kat Johnson, HRN's Communications Director, and I am here this week with my co-host and colleague, Katie Mosman-Wadler, our Executive Director. Hi, Katie. Hey, Kat. Happy, um, what day is it? It's Thursday. It's Thursday. <laughs> we maybe aren't recording this on a Thursday, but, you know, today is Thursday when this I mean, show is coming out. As you know, <laughs> five o'clock somewhere. And Bushwick exactly. is somewhere, and we wish we were all together there with our very <laughs> special guests today. Exactly. Um, so last week, you know, we had part one of this special two-part episode uh, featuring chefs from South Carolina. We had Raffaele Dalerta and Jason Tufts, and they're chefs that are kind of more in the upstate region. And this week, we're coming back down to the coast. We've got two chefs from. Charleston and Myrtle Beach, but really quick, I want to um, remind you if you haven't, uh, you know, you didn't listen to the last episode, a little bit of context here. So we're doing this in partnership with Discover South Carolina and Charleston Wine and Food. And for the past five years, you know, we we've been partnering with Charleston Wine and Food for a really long time, and usually pop up there in person to do some recordings. And another longstanding tradition at the festival is that Discover South Carolina presents the opening night. And that is really one of the main features of local and regional chefs. And um, it shines a spotlight on South Carolina's chef ambassador program. So this week we have two of the other um, South Carolina chef ambassadors, and I'm going to introduce them now, our special guests. First up, we have Kevin Mitchell, who is the chef instructor at the Culinary Institute of Charleston. Welcome, Kevin. 
Thank you. Very nice to be here. So good. I wish we were in person like we normally are at the festival, but nonetheless, so good to have you here. Um, Our second guest is new to the HRN. We're so excited to have her. Please welcome Jamie Descalis, the chef and owner of Johnny D's Waffles and Bakery in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Welcome, Jamie. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thank you. I mean, Jamie, I have to say, looking at your website today and the incredible menu and imaginative waffles that you're making, I need to plan a trip to Myrtle Beach soon. Oh, yeah, you definitely got to come see us. I'll, I'll make you I'll make you some good stuff over there. Um, um, we uh, we've been, we just finished spring break, so it's been a little bit of a crazy time down here. But now it seems like it's settling down a little bit until we get um, hit again during the summer. So. We're just recouping. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm excited to hear more from both of you. You're, you're both in, you know, tourist hotspots in, in, in South Carolina. So I'm sure you have a lot of interesting news to share with us about, you know, what, what is sort of going on with, um, recovery from COVID and, and things starting to really pick back up in, in your towns. Um, but really quick, we have a very quick announcement. If Katie, you want to jump in on that. Yeah, so absolutely. Normally, if you're an HRN Happy Hour listener, you know that this is when we go through all kinds of highlights of what's been happening on the network. We're going to take the second today just to tell you, um, as you've probably heard from your favorite shows, uh, we are officially going on our spring season break. Not the same spring break that Jamie is recovering from, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we uh, we take a season break and uh, get all our ducks in a row and do our planning for our summer season. So um, you might notice some of your favorite shows are not going to be posting new episodes episodes for the next couple of weeks, but never fear. We will be back with a full schedule on May 3rd. And in the meantime, there will definitely be a trickle uh, because our hosts uh, love nothing more than to um, break out of the mold of a set schedule. So you'll hear from us. Uh, it might not be the same pace, but this is a great chance for you to go to our website if you haven't already and sign up for our newsletter. It is on the bottom right corner. It says sign up. And uh, that's a great way to hear about what's coming out. Um, particularly to learn about some new shows we have coming up and keep an eye out for some uh, very cool events that we'll be announcing tickets for soon. Uh, Hint is if you're thirsty, just keep an eye on that HRN newsletter. So that's it for our announcements for this week. And we're going to just dive right in uh, to speaking more with Kevin and Jamie. Yes. Oh man. This is one of the drawbacks of recording a show in advance is that I know when the show drops, we're going to have lots of event announcements um, ready. So maybe we'll we'll drop them in the show notes for people so you can be kind of the first to know. Uh, but yes. Good thinking, Kat. Yeah. So, um, well, before we started recording, uh, Kevin and Jamie, you both mentioned, you mentioned something that I think ties in nicely to what we talked about with Raffaele and Jason. We talked a little bit about culinary school and kind of like what that the trajectory that that set their careers on. And you have something in common. You both are CIA grads. So yep. I wanted to hear a little bit about that yeah. and kind of how, how that, how that started your culinary careers. Well, Kevin, why don't you go first? Uh, you graduated first. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why well, I graduated, uh, with my associate's degree in culinary in, uh, 1991 and, was fortunate enough to go back in 94 and get my bachelor's degree from the CIA in 96. And, you know, it definitely was a, a, a great um, experience for me to go to culinary school. Um, I started working in restaurants when I was 16 and 
I had worked in this one restaurant back home in New Jersey and for three years. And at the end of the third year, I was being promoted to to the sous chef. And at that point, I decided, you know, I needed a more formal uh, education. And fortunately, the chef that I was working with uh, was a CIA grad as well. And it was really cool. He ex- actually planned a a cool little trip for, for us to go to CIA. Um, however, I didn't know that he was planning this. So what he, he did was he, he put me on the schedule to work one day to work a lunch shift. So I, I come in like I would normally do. And, you know, I go and change and I put my uniform on and I come downstairs and I'm going to my station and they start getting set up. And he's standing there. He's like, well, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm on the schedule. Like I'm going to set up and it's, you know, we got to get ready for lunch. And he's like, no, go back upstairs and, and put your clothes back on and, and meet me downstairs when you're, when you're done. And what I didn't know was he had planned to drive me to, to CIA, to the campus to um, take me on a tour. Um, and he had worked it out with my mom. Um, so he's, we got in the car and we made the three hour trek up to Hyde Park, New York. And we walked around the campus and, you know, we, I applied to school that day. And, um, you know, about maybe a month or so later, um, I was working in the restaurant and I got a call from my mom and, my mom said, Hey, you got this really big packet from, from CIA. And she's like, can I open it? <laughs> so I was like, well, yeah, go ahead. And in there, it's, it basically was my acceptance letter. And I started in, you know, in April of, of 91. And I went through the first two years and got my, my AOS and, you know, in 90, I'm sorry, 89 when I went and I got my AOS in 91 and came home and actually, took the sous chef position at the same restaurant where I was working at before and worked there for three years and, um, decided that, um, well, actually I did not decide. My mom decided that I was going to go back to get my bachelor's degree. And honestly, at that particular time, I wasn't really thinking about going back to school. I was a sous chef. I was, you know, making fairly decent money for a 21 year old. Um, but she she felt it necessary for me to go back to get the bachelor's degree and you know it was the best the best one of the best decisions of my life because it's it's opened up so many doors to all the things that I've done um since since getting that degree uh, specifically coming to Charleston becoming you know the first african american chef instructor at the culinary institute of charleston um having the opportunity to um go to the university of mississippi and in 2016 and, and and get my master's degree in 2018 and um of course you know opening up this door to to where we are now as far as you know Jamie and I being you know South Carolina chef ambassadors and we we have the the dubious distinction of being the only class that has done it two years in a row um and that's basically definitely because of you know when we first were um designated chef ambassadors, um, uh, COVID hit and pretty much shut down the program as much as, as, as far as travel. Um, so we still were kind of maintaining doing some social media blurbs here and there. And I think at the end of the year, you know, they decided, well, Hey, these guys really didn't do 
much travel, much of the responsibilities of being a chef ambassador. So they asked us to to serve another full year. And, and here we are serving another full year and until, you know, our, our term ends at the end of um, 2021. Yeah, they wanted to get a little bit more work out of you guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got, gy- we got gypped last year. So, <laughs> well, we feel lucky to have this uh, second go around and hopefully uh, be able to, um, you know, get to taste some food as part of this program too. Um, and Kevin, you're known as the chef scholar. And uh, yes. d- can you talk about like, did your beginning sort of in your um, research at, at the CIA, did that um, channel into that eventual title that you've taken on? Well, I think, no, more or less um, going to the University of Mississippi um, was kind of the catalyst that channeled into that particular moniker that I use um, because I looked at the fact that, you know, I'd been or I still am a chef and had been doing this for, for so many years and taking that break for two years to move to Mississippi and pack up my life and, um, and all my, my furniture and everything and leave it in storage and, and, you know, live, you know, about 10 hours away from Charleston and become, become a student in a graduate program. And it was funny, a lot of my students, when, you know, I was explaining to them what I was doing, they thought I was crazy. They're like, well, chef, like you're going to be gone for two years and then you're going to sit in the classroom and not cook professionally for two years. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the graduate program is. And um, I decided to um, create that Instagram page excuse me, um, with the name Chef Scholar as a way to have my students kind of follow me on my journey for those two years. And so a lot of things that I did while I was there, a lot of the classes that I was taking and a lot of the the papers and things that I was writing, um, I would post on that page. And I just figured, you know, basically I'm a chef. And at that particular point in my mind, I was becoming a scholar. And I just said, you know, I just brought the two, you know, the two kind of professions together and, and, and there you have it. And it was, it's been, a, it was a great experience for my students to kind of see exactly what I was doing. Um, and not, you know, and not from kind of a cooking point of view, even though, I mean, I did cook, I mean, I cooked pretty much for myself and I did cook for my classmates, which came in handy when I needed uh, papers uh, typed or if I needed uh, papers to be edited, yeah. um, <clears throat> there was a really cool barter system that we had where I'm like, Hey, you know, I made this really big pot of gumbo this weekend. Um, I can give you some, but Hey, can you look through this paper and, and make sure it, it, it sounds good? And, you know, it, it went over really well. And, you know, I was known for coming to class with, you know, five or six uh rubber meat containers with whether it was gumbo or jambalaya or anything that I had cooked over the weekend uh, for my classmates. And, you know, f- they, they benefited it <laughs> from it just as much as I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, and Jamie, can you talk about your start at the CIA and what sort of drove you to go to culinary school? Um, I grew up literally 
in my dad's restaurants. Um, he, he moved to America when he was 16, bought his first restaurant when he was 19 in New Jersey called the Hills Diner. And, um, then I think at 19 or 20, he married my mom and then they moved to Middletown, New York, and we settled there for a while. And then after I was born, the two of them were working at first, I was the second one, my older brother, Nick, um, but me and Nick spent so much time in the restaurants, like in the back office behind the registers. So naturally, you know, as we grew up and I think I started working when I was 13 and when it was time to go to college, I obviously wanted to, you know, stay in the food business. And my brother had just graduated a year or two before me, two years, maybe before me from the Culinary Institute of America in the, for a culinary degree. So I went for baking and pastry, which I don't love baking, or making pastries, if I'm going to be honest with you. But I do, uh, it has come in handy because at the restaurant with the breakfast, like we do a lot of batters, we do breads, we do cakes and, you know, pound cake, banana bread and stuff. So it has um, actually worked out well for me. I think that I'm more successful in the breakfast business with my baking degree than if I would have had a culinary degree and having to learn how to bake because baking is a little bit different, more precise. So I'm glad I got that education um, because some of the chef instructors really taught you know, really did a great job teaching us about things. So I was able to carry that over into the breakfast business. Um, but I, I remember when I decided I wanted to go, my dad was in the kitchen making spanakopita and uh, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do if I was going to go like hospitality or if I was going to go to culinary school. And when I saw him making that, I don't know that day I was like, I'm going to just go to culinary school. That's where I belong. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how I ended up there. So it was 21 months. Uh, I did an internship at a huge bakery in Kingston, New York for 16 weeks. And then I, um, so you like go to school for a certain amount of time, do your internship, and then you go back to school and then you graduate. And as soon as I graduated, my dad put me to work at one of his four uh, restaurants we had in New York at the time. And Jamie, I was reading, um, a bit of your, uh, inner Q and a on the discover South Carolina page. And I, was really struck by one of the things that you had to kind of learn about when you moved south was cooking grits because oh, yeah. like you said you have a breakfast restaurant and in the south people want their grits so I'd like to hear about that and just also you know those first you know year or two being in the south and kind of what you had to adapt to in a culinary sense. Um, well, when I was in New York, every once in a while someone would come in and be like, "Do you have grits?" And I'm like, "No, we don't." that's not a, that's, that's not really a thing. Like, I don't think any of the diners had grits. I don't think any of them, there was like a couple restaurants that were, um, that, uh, smaller scale restaurants that, you know, um, would serve grits, but none of the diners did. And uh, all, all the Greeks up there and all the Greeks and Albanians in New York, New Jersey, they own, they own diners. That's what they do up there. Um, so nobody made grits. So when I came down here, we were, uh, we took over a Nibbles family restaurant, and, um, we turned it into Johnny D's, but we kind of, a couple of things that like we, you know, the grits and stuff, I kind of was just like, I tasted his grits and I was like, I really don't, they were instant grits that he was cooking. And I was like, I really don't see what the, the fascination is with this. And then, um, I picked up a bag of grits from the store. I think Palmetto far Palmetto grits from, you know, one of the local, uh, South Carolina grits from the store. And I made them at home, uh, with some heavy cream and a, a lot of butter. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, these are good. So then I went back to the restaurant and I was like, daddy, we have to stop serving these. We need to get stone ground grits. And, um, I started using it from Allen brothers, you know, Adlu in uh, Columbia and I made them for him. And he's like, 
Well, him too. He was like, oh, now I see. Now I see. Because he was the same way. Like, I don't I don't really understand what the fuss is about um, because, you know, we didn't we didn't taste them the way, you know, they were intended to be tasted. So um, but yeah, there was like a couple different things like sausage gravy. You know, we don't we didn't use that. We didn't have that in New York. We just had brown gravy and we smothered that on everything up there. French fries to beef to whatever. So um, and then some other things that are popular for breakfast that um, we don't serve them at our restaurant um, because I feel like we specialize in some other things um, that maybe, you know, some um, I don't want to say designer type breakfasts, but um, just some other kinds of breakfast dishes that no one else really serves down here. So I, I leave some of the other Southern classics like shrimp and grits. I don't serve them in my restaurant. People do. That's a big thing for brunch or chip beef. Um, we don't serve that either. Um I feel like our menu has enough to where, you know, some of those Southern classics, uh, I don't want to just reinvent the wheel again. Like I want to give the customer something else. There's plenty of places in Myrtle beach that can go get shrimp and grits, but you know, my homemade pound cake, French toast, or my red velvet waffles. That's all your, you want that you come into my store to get it. So that's uh, some of the stuff I've kind of, um, and even like our home fries, like we kept them the way they were, we were doing them in New York. Um, and, you know, some, some people, uh, a lot of customers love them. And once in a while I get a customer that's like, it's not what I'm used to. And that's no problem. You know, we can't, you know, you can't please everyone's palate. So, but, um, so some stuff we have adapted and stuff, stuff, we've just stayed strong and we just did what we always did with it because it worked and people, and down here in Myrtle beach, there's so many transplants that it's not like, you know, it's all people like come in there and looking for some of that stuff that, you know, we used to serve in New York and they're happy that it's available. So it works out for everyone, I think. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, gosh, the, your menu just makes me so hungry. And I like, I, I also just like love breakfast for dinner. So I'm sure that mm-hmm. people are in lo- love to eat your food any time of day. Um, well, I like where this conversation's heading. I want to talk a lot more about um, more of these South Carolina ingredients and produce and foods that you are both using on menus um, and, you know, working with and really celebrating. So let's take a really quick break and we'll come back and talk more about the food of South Carolina. This episode is brought to you by Discover South Carolina. Learn about South Carolina's culinary scene from the people who know it best, its chef ambassadors. The South Carolina Chef Ambassador Program seeks chefs who embody the best of South Carolina's food scene, both in the quality of their ingredients and their devotion to playing an active role in their communities. South Carolina's chef ambassadors are true culinary leaders. The program aspires to elevate visitor awareness of the state's diverse culinary talent, abundant produce, and numerous tourism locales found on and off the beaten path. Learn more at discoversouthcarolina.com. Okay, we are back with two of South Carolina's chef ambassadors, Kevin Mitchell and Jamie Descalis. So we were talking a little bit uh, before the break, um, Jamie, about some of the ingredients that, you know, you've discovered in South Carolina that you really love to work with. So, you know, real locally grown grits as opposed to the quick grits, um, Mm -hmm. instant grits. Um, I'm curious to hear from both of you about, you know, especially as we're entering spring and summer and there's such an abundance of, of great food grown in the state. What are some, what are some ingredients that you're really looking forward to working with right now? Um, Jamie, if you want to start. 
Um, we sell a lot of strawberries at the restaurant. So usually around this time I can start getting them, you know, more locally and the same thing with blueberries. So you can always tell this time of year because um, we have to have strawberries all year round being a breakfast place. So, you know, they come from all over the place, you know, in the off season. But this time of year that you can tell as soon as they start coming in locally, you know, they're fresh, they're uh, brighter in color. They taste great. They last longer because they didn't have to travel as far. And, um, we usually, um, A&A produce that we use here locally, they get a lot of, uh, local stuff that we can, um, get through them. Or if I can get it from a local farm and work with them to have it delivered or picked up, you know, I'll do that too. Um, but, um, we, uh, at my restaurant, uh, we use, uh, like the different, some different local, um, proteins too, and, um, stuff like that and honey and, um, the flour from Adlu as well. So, um, you know, as far as produce and stuff, we get, um, we started getting lettuce from Micro Leon Farms in Conway. He's, it's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm. It's pretty new and I use all my microgreens from him. And, um, anytime I have an event, I, you know, call him up and he gets me, I just love his microgreens. They last a lot longer. You can tell that they're super fresh. He puts some, uh, like beet, like baby beet greens in there. So I get some, that beautiful purple color when I put them on the plates because everyone wants to put everything on Instagram now. So when I make my dishes, I want to make sure that there's some color to them. So they look beautiful when people post them. So that's actually, um, pretty awesome that he, and he delivers them once a week and it's just nice. Uh, and as we go here, I keep trying, if anyone approaches me like a local farmer and is like, Hey, you know, I have this product. I always see what I can do, you know, let's see if I can bring them in. And that's what the guy from micro. Leon Farms did. His name is Oscar. He just stopped in one day and was like, chef, I have these um, samples here. He's like, can you please consider, you know, uh, letting us bring you some microgreens? And they, they're, they're awesome. I love them. I think that they taste great. They add a little, and he'll make like special blends for me where, you know, if you get it from somewhere across, you know, from who knows where, um, you know, you might not be able to get that same courtesy, but he was like, what do you want in your microgreens? So there's like some baby basil in there, the, uh, the beetroot and like a little baby arugula and stuff. So it really adds a nice flavor and texture to the dishes. And, um, but it's been nice learning all that South Carolina has to offer. I didn't realize beforehand, like what South Carolina had to offer like this. And, um, it's been super awesome to be like, oh, we can get that here too. Like, oh, that's made here too. Oh, that's produced here too. Um, and we just brought in, uh, liquor from 1233 distillery up in little river. So now that's the only vodka and whiskey I use in the restaurant for our bar. And, um, we also brought in Sally's greatest for jams and, uh, syrups for the, for the liquor drinks. And people really like those. So we sell a lot of mimosas. So it's been, it's been pretty awesome. And I love partnering with anyone local, you know, because, you know, I post their stuff on Instagram. They, 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 we kind of like, um, uh, help market each other and everything like that. And you just, you don't get that with like a big company, like, you know, when you're trying to, you know, help market each other and stuff, you, you just, a big company just doesn't, doesn't do that. Like, uh, the little, you know, us little guys. So I like to support the, the local when I can. Jamie, this is Katie. I wanted to ask you, um, I feel like I've learned so much about you from your website um, and uh, looking at your menus, like Kat said, made me extremely hungry. Uh, but you also have a page dedicated to autism awareness and April is Autism Awareness Month. Um, and you mentioned on there that um, your son has has been diagnosed with autism and had some um, eating struggles. And I was just wondering if he has any kind of... Um, has had any culinary discoveries of his own with South Carolina ingredients or um, any kind of um, delicious things that he's been able to love um, that are kind of unique to your location? 
Oh my God. He, so he loves blueberries. So this time of year, especially <laughs> I always go to the farmer's market and I pick him up like, um, well, you know, they have those little green baskets over there. So I pick him up, you know, when I go a thing of blueberry, he eats them by the, um, to, I can give him a five pound gallon of blueberries and I don't think he would stop until he got to the bottom of it. Um, he just <laughs> loves them. And that's one of the first things we got him to eat at feeding therapy. And it was a huge struggle to where like he would take two hours to eat five blueberries. I would have to cut them in four. He was, he was, he had such feeding troubles when we first started. And now the fact that he loves blueberries so much, um, it really makes me happy. And he, we eat a lot of, um, WK price farm beef. Cause we get it, you know, she brings it to the restaurant. We have her burgers there. So every once in a while, I'm like, bring me a brisket, bring me, you know, some sirloin steaks. Cause James loves them. So I cook them up, you know, I cook him a steak and then he eats it for like two days and has it for lunch. And he's just, he just loves it so much. And, um, I'm just really, I just get really excited now. Cause you know, if I go to a local farmer's market now and I want to cook something for him, he'll pretty much eat anything I put on a plate for him. As long as it doesn't have any like too mushy of a texture um, and obviously if it tastes good because, you know, he has standards. So, um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty, it's been pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> he won't eat it if it doesn't taste good or if it's mushy and I don't like mushy things either. So I don't know if he got that from me or it's his own personal taste, but, um, <laughs> but he, um, he really, as far as like, as far as the South Carolina ingredients that I, I have available that he eats blueberries and the beef that we get is probably the two biggest things that he, he devours. So I'm actually, and I have two blueberry, two blueberry bushes in the backyard that are almost like, I think they're another week and a half away from being able to pick the blueberries. I can't wait to pick them all with him and he can eat them all. I'm so excited. Oh, nice. And Kevin, I want to ask you kind of the similar question of, you know, what, what South Carolina ingredients are you, you know, are some of your favorites or that you're really excited about seasonally, but in particular, I, I would love for you to also talk about the book that you're working on or, you know, have completed with David Shields and how that ties into, um, you know, ingredients and foods of South Carolina. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we, we have, we have the, the luxury at the, at the culinary school to, to bring in a lot of, you know, local, South Carolina grown products um, through, you know, a few of our classes um, that where we really try to get the students to understand, you know, the the chef and the farmer relationship or the, you know, the chef and the producer relationship. So, I mean, right about now, me personally, you know, for the spring, you know, Jamie, Jamie mentioned um, strawberries. So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, to getting some really good strawberries from McLeod Farms who, who does, the really great peaches, um, the Max Pride peaches, which um, are, are mm. should be coming in pretty soon. Um, but I definitely like to use a lot of, um, you know, South Carolina grown uh, grains and beans and peas. So, you know, I'll work with, you know, I do a lot of work with Anson Mills to get the, you know, of course, the Carolina gold rice and the Sea Island red peas. I'm a huge fan of the Bene seeds. So I use those a lot. Um I'm looking forward to hopefully next week actually getting some some um, asparagus from uh, Moneta Farms in Moneta, South Carolina. Um, I'm also very much into using a lot of uh, microgreens, whether it's in the class or even at home. So getting that stuff from from city roots or vertical roots um, is 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 a really big deal for me. And you know, we through the school and also personally, we work through through uh, with Grow Carolina, who basically is a, a warehouse for a lot of these products that come into 
this the area of Charleston, but all these products are coming in from different areas throughout um, the state, whether it's Johns Island, whether it's Moneta, um, South Carolina, whether it's um, Saluda, whether it's Charleston, it's Monk's Corner, so on and so forth. So it's it's a really great time of the year for for you know produce things other things i like to use you know as far as you know i'll use uh, charleston spice company uh, spices i actually have some stuff that uh, was gifted gifted to me by by jamie and I, I like to use a lot of her her spices that she that she has so you know south carolina is just a great a great place to 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 get um a lot of really great products you know we do we also get some beef from the same place that that jamie does uh we get we'll get our hogs for our butchery charcuterie class um that are produced right here in in south carolina you know we'll use keegan philly and farms chicken so on and so forth a lot of our seafood depending on the class will come you know from abundant and they definitely bring us a lot of local whether it's swordfish or grouper or you know, trigger fish, things like that. So it's, once again, it's just so, so exciting. I think spring is like the best time of year for, for produce, for products, specifically produce, because there's so many things that are coming out and so many people um, reaching out to, to myself and reaching out to Jamie to, you know, to introduce us to their products, to their produce um, you know, people like Nat Bradford with his, if you've ever had any of his collard greens, I mean, they're, they're, they're fantastic. And I know soon he's going to have okra coming through and it's just, just, just awesome. And then as you talk about the book, the book, um, it is, is due out in, in August. Um, I believe it's in, in print right now and it's called Taste Estate. South Carolina signature foods, recipes, and their stories. So in this book, David and I basically write about South Carolina foods or products, things that are directly connected to South Carolina. So it could be a product. It could be also a dish. So we write about um, – Jamie mentioned shrimp and grits. So we, we have an entry about shrimp and grits. And if you look at the book, almost like a dictionary where – we have entries and everything is listed in alphabetical order. And each entry is, you know, average two to three pages long. Some are a little bit longer than that um, based on what they are. Um, and then there's some stories. So some really interesting stories about the history of, of, of a dish or the history of these ingredients and where they come from and who first cultivated them and how they make their way to South Carolina. Um, also, once again, recipes, the recipes, we we offer recipes, truly like classic recipes from the 17 and 1800s. Um, and also, of course, you know, me being being the chef, I actually write some recipes that are a little bit more and more contemporary. And so what we're trying to do in the book is show people kind of the evolution of re- recipes for s- certain dishes. So you know, whether it's okra soup and we write, you know, we offer a recipe that comes from the Virginia housewife um, cookbook. And then there's recipes that are a little bit more updated and a little bit more um, contemporary that 
maybe change some ingredients around or change um, some some cooking techniques around. And then, you know, we offer, you know, people the opportunity to take this book and take it home and hopefully want to want to try to, you know, to duplicate some of the recipes. And we write the book in a fashion where it's not it's not like too technical it's not too academic it's a little bit of a mixture of both you know anyone that knows david shields david david is extremely academic <laughs> if i can say so <laughs> um and you know and then of course he teams up with me the chef so we were able to kind of balance each other as far as our writings and 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 how we actually wrote the book we you know there was a list that he put together of things that he wanted to cover in the book. And then basically we looked at the list and he said, okay, Kevin, you choose the entries that you're really excited to write about. I'll choose the ones that I want to write about. And basically we, we, that's how we kind of tag team the book and I would write my entry and I, excuse me, I would email it to him and he would look through it. He would offer some suggestions and he, I would do the same thing for him. So he would write an entry, he would email it to me. And then once we felt like the entry was good to go, we put it in a file, in a Dropbox file. And that's how we kind of created the manuscript. And we turned the manuscript in and um, there's some really beautiful photos in the book. There's some stock photos that David had um, of his own. And then, you know, there were some other photos of food that the press wanted. And we were doing this right in the middle of the pandemic. And we had had money put aside for a photographer to, you know, shoot some photos, you know, whether it was going out to an okra field or, you know, a rice field or whatever and shooting some photos. But of course, you know, the pandemic kind of, you know, put a put a kibosh on that. So the press was like, well, Kevin, you you're a chef, you can cook the food at home and you can take pictures. And I'm like, well, I only, I like, I have a camera phone and, <laughs> you know, and, and Jamie, Jamie, Jamie's going to probably call me out on this, but the, a lot of the photos <laughs> that I post <clears throat> on my Instagram are not photos that I have personally taken. There are photos of, you know, my partner, Rhonda, who has a really great camera phone. Of course, her camera phone is much better than mine, of course. <laughs> and um, the 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 editor one day said, you know, you post these really great pictures on your Instagram. I think we can use those for this book. And I was like, well, they're from a phone. She's like, but if you send us the photo, our art department can, you know, look at the photo and make, you know, see if it's going to be you know, a viable picture to use for the book. And if it is great, if not, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work around it. And so they gave me a list of specific dishes that they wanted me to cook. And then I cooked the food and then Rhonda would (laughs) prop the food and take the photos. And then we would send the photos to the press and they would approve or disapprove, you know, based on, you know, the, the, the pixels and the JPEG and all that other stuff that I really don't really don't know about. I just say hey, it's a nice picture. It's a picture of Frogmore stew. It looks beautiful. Okay, let's great. Let's put it in the book. Um, and so we were able to, to do that and have her, you know, shoot those photos. And, you know, 
the press was very gracious, you know, to allow um, for her to get, you know, photo cred um, for for the photos that she shot here in our home <laughs> on her phone. So it, you know, it's it's a it's going to be a great book. Um, according, you know, I talked to the publisher the other day. There's a lot of buzz around the book. It is available for pre-sale right now. It does drop in August. Um, and if you want to pre-order the book, you just go to the uscpress.com and then type in Taste the State and you can have it pre-ordered. I believe it. the release date will be the last day of August. However, if you pre-order it, you'll get it. I believe you'll get it two or three weeks prior to that just for pre-ordering the book. So it's it's you know, it's going to be great. We have a couple of um signings or book signing schedule and it's going to be really interesting because the the week that the book drops david is going to be leaving the state for about a year he's going to be on sabbatical and 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 taking a uh i believe a teaching position um in excuse me in california so um the day after our first signing which we're doing on august 26th at Middleton Place here in here in you know the Charleston area, the next day he's loading up his car and he's driving off to California and it's going to be gone and won't be back until like mid, you know, 2022. Um, so a lot of the the book signings, um, whether they're in live or uh, via you know Zoom or you know other online you know ways of doing it, will be on me, which is you know. Which is great, you know, and I was I'm really you know honored and excited to to be a part of this project with David. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people know that David and I, our relationship started back in 2014 when we were playing in that Fuller dinner, and we've done many other projects since since then. And it was his idea that we do this book together because he was actually approached um, by the press with the the initial project of him writing a book and it was based on kind of like, Hey, we want you to write this book about like the top, top 15 dishes of South Carolina. And knowing David, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to do something that was a little bit more comprehensive. Um, and he said, well, this is what I propose we do for this project. And I want to have Kevin Mitchell be a part of this. So it's a huge honor for him to even, you know, consider me, being a part of this project. So I'm excited. Look for it in, you know, at the end of August and look for some, some events around the, the release of the book. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. Um, well, we're, we're close to the end of our time, but one thing I asked, um, Raffaele and Jason that I also wanted to ask both of you is, um, you know, as we kind of get back to the quote unquote new normal and, particularly the the two of you are in are in tourist destinations and food destinations and you know Jamie you mentioned you're already welcoming back cr- crowds of of visitors mm-hmm. and you've been really busy and so I'm curious to hear from you um as people do start coming back to visit South Carolina and to eat eat the food of the state and eat you know all the wonderful ingredients that we just talked about what do you hope people um come away what sort of experience or knowledge do you hope they come away um, from South Carolina with? 
I just want people to, um, you know, the word to get out that there's a lot of great food scene things happening here in South Carolina from new restaurants opening up in the Myrtle beach area. And I'm not even talking, no, like, no, I'm not talking about franchises and stuff. I'm like, people are really investing money and time and energy and talent in some of these new restaurants that are opening up. Um, I feel that, um, since I've been here, I've been here seven years now and in Myrtle beach, there's been a lot of really good places that are opening up you know, either breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, there's a couple of new breakfast places that have opened uh, across the Grand Strand that are um, really raising the bar, you know, instead of serving the same old thing. So, you know, they're serving even different things that I'm serving and maybe, you know, play, you know, uh, doing a little bit more upscale plating or an upscale atmosphere where I'm more like family dining, um, where, you know, another place opened up on 82nd Avenue called Drift and they're drift coastal dining i think it's called and i went there to eat and they have like a, their own twist on breakfast and i thought that it was a really awesome place i thought the food was good and everything and it was a nice it's a nice uh, family that owns it so um it's just nice to see and even for dinner i've been to a couple of really nice places doing farm to table out in conway last night i went to a crooked oak crooked oak tavern in conway and i was so happy when I left. I ate so much. It was ridiculous. And just, <laughs> you know, I just want people to understand that South Carolina has really good food, really good barbecue, good breakfast, lunch, uh, you know, fine dining places, not so fine dining places, but they're still delicious. So everyone needs to come here ready to eat, bring your appetites and don't worry about their diets anymore. And they go home and worry about that stuff. But we are open here and we are really, we, I really, last year was rough during shutdown. I missed, we missed all the spring break and it was really hard for me to see my restaurant dead every single day. I mean, we were down like 93% in April, 90, no, 97.3% in April. It was pretty sad. Wow. So when we wow, opened well, back I'm up again to like, are- <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did yeah. more. And on, on Easter weekend than we did all of it last April. It was it, it was wow. very hard for me. It took me a few months to recover from that because when you see your restaurant just dead dead every single day, dead empty, um, that really takes a toll on your brain. And even though it was only temporary and I knew it was temporary, it was it was really a struggle last year. It took me a little while to recover um, from what happened last year. And then, you know, people came after that and like drones, cause we were one of the only States opened. Um, so now I feel like although spring break was super packed, um, you know, there are other places to go, but I want people to come here obviously, and really enjoy what South Carolina has to offer because even like the beautiful parks and the waterfalls, like I went out to Greenville, um, for euphoria and I loved it. And then I went back a month later for my birthday and we went to table rock park. We went to, we spent a whole day and up, uh, falls by the reedy and just, you know, ride bikes and hang out by the water and stuff. It's just such a beautiful state. And you just have, there's just so much to offer. Like you don't have to come to Myrtle Beach and Charleston. You can go to Greenville. You can go, you know, get a cabin at Table Rocker. And there's just so many things to do and so beautiful. So whether you like the beach or whether you like nature or whether you just want to stuff your face with food, I feel like South Carolina offers all of that. And you can really get all of it really in one trip. Like you can come to Myrtle Beach. You can come to South Carolina for a week and come to Myrtle Beach for a few days and then head out to Greenville or some of the other national parks that we have you know, closer and enjoy, you know, both things. So I think that's really awesome because not everywhere you can, you can do that. Totally. Kevin, what about you? What do you hope people uh, come to visit South Carolina and what do they leave with? Well, I think the first thing is um, I want people when they come to South Carolina, specifically places like Myrtle Beach and Charleston, the heavy 
tourist areas in the state, which are very beautiful, as Jamie said, and there's a lot of things to do, even outside of food. But I want people, when they come to places like that, um, just to, first of all, they have to understand that um, we are still kind of recovering from the pandemic. And there's a lot of places mm-hmm. here in Charleston and definitely there in a, you know, and, and I'm sure Jamie can attest to that, that, you know, there's a lot of these places that are, are extremely, extremely understaffed and oh they're God, trying yes. to, to staff up. And I think I just want people when they come, you know, initially until we kind of get some sense of normalcy, whatever that is supposed to be, that they they walk away with the understanding that, you know, this, despite the short staff, that people are still in those places ready to serve you, ready to to give you the best <clears throat> experience that they can possibly give you, even though they're understaffed. And, you know, I've, I've seen cases where where people come into a place and they 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 leave upset because they may have not had the best experience, but they still have to base that on the fact that we are still recovering from the pandemic. And, you know, I know Jamie and I was just talking to Rhonda the other night and I I said to her, I wish that I was closer to her because I have, you know, access to students and I can, I could could send her students to, to help staff up her kitchen so she can, you know, offer the people that come to her places you know, a great dining experience. And I've been to a couple of her places and I've had a really great experience, but they need to kind of walk away and understand that, Hey, you know, you know, places, especially, you know, busy, busy places like, like Jamie has in, in other places in, in the state are, are, we're trying. And then also, of course, as Jamie said, I want people to walk away understanding that, you know, we have some really great, food here some really great products really great produce and we have really great chefs who who um are really on a mission even outside of the chef ambassador program chefs are on a mission to to offer their diners locally grown produce or meat or you know locally cultivated or fished seafood so on and so forth and just get out there and and you know, open your mind and get out there and, and, and try a lot of these places that are opening up. And I mean, even in Charleston, as, as Jamie said, there, there are restaurants opening up <laughs> like every day, even in the, in the midst yep. of the recovering pandemic. I mean, <clears throat> you know, Vivian Howard from, from, from North Carolina is opening up a restaurant tomorrow. And, you know, my email is being inundated by so many chefs in the city who are starving for, for students, you know, for workers. And, you know, there's so many, there's more jobs available than we have people to fill those positions. So, and it just goes back to saying, you know, just, you know, just be patient and, you know, things will kind of get back to once again, that whatever the normal is is going to be in 2021 or 2022, but definitely walk away knowing that, you know, wherever you go, whether it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Jamie's place or even if, you know, you come to the to the culinary school and, you know, when we are we're actually hoping to open up our public restaurants um, pretty soon. 
to to offer diners, you know, some really great products from the state. That's awesome. And I think Kevin, that's that is great advice I think for any state, any city, anywhere that you are going after you get vaccinated and start to venture back out to restaurants and eating inside, that everyone should be patient and gracious. Um, whether you work in the restaurants or you're dining at the restaurants, it's going to definitely take some time for us all to get back to to the new normal. So I yep. thank oh, you yeah. for sharing that thought. Yep. I think that's really, really great. Um well, thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, this has been the second part of our two happy hours with the South Carolina chef ambassadors. And, and yeah, to Kevin's point, they, they're two, two year terms on, for these guys. And so, um, thank you. Thank you all for, you know, representing the state and taking the time to talk to us about what makes South Carolina such an incredible food destination. Absolutely. Can't wait to see you eat with you soon. Thank Thank you. Yeah. And last thing I want to say is that, you know, 2021, we did not get to celebrate Charleston Wine and Food in person, but we do know the dates for next year. And we are really looking forward to seeing all of our chef friends and our food community in Charleston next year. Mark your calendars now. Those dates are March 2nd through 6th, 2022. And that is just a wonderful thing to look forward to. So Jamie, yes. Kevin, we'll see you there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait. Yes, and de- definitely. And the way I think things are going, um, you know, the festival is is going to be even better than before. I think having this time off has allowed for the festival to kind of regroup and, and and really change the way they do things. And um, I'm hoping actually to be the uh, the chef chair for the 2022 festival so it's going to be great i mean i'm going to have a lot of stuff going on but you know still hoping to at least you know that'll probably be one of our last events as as chef ambassadors and you know to pass the baton on to the new class but we're so looking forward to having people come back to charleston for the festival i cannot wait to see you there All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. Um, I'm Kat Johnson. Thanks to Katie Mosman-Wadler for being my co-host as always. And we will be back uh, in a few weeks with more HR and happy hour. So tune in soon. Thanks everybody. See you next time. Thank you. Take care. HR and happy hour is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.